I open my hat? Oh, I thought she was going to say open the episode. I got so excited for a minute there. Well, no. We can, no, we can. Open this is the week. This is the week. No, we'll open the hat. This can be our cold open. This can be our cold open. Open the hat. Go on. I'm also really bad with my facial expressions. That's all right. It's a podcast. That's, it's, it's an audio only podcast, anyway. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, crucially also we should point out for people listening uh, when I went to Silverstone a few weeks back I asked if anyone on the podcast wanted merch Ellie Mae said she wanted a hat and for me to surprise her with which hat um, it's a so, Nigel Mantle with a big moustache that's my guess I, I will also put the disclaimer of I did buy it it, like, it is my money I just let Jesse <laughs> use it because I am love half of the grid and yeah, it, yeah, really it was decisive. A- so, so your chances are 50-50 here, Jesse. Yeah, it's more of a mystery shopper experience than truly I just simply sort of splurged money on my podcast hosts. We'll find out if you splurged money in a minute. We'll see what the hat is. Either splurged or wasted, we're about to find out. I love the idea if it's a Liverpool hat, it's just a football and it's not anything one related. Can she get past the amount of packing tape on the old shoebox I sent it in? Just suspense. Jesus. I know. I'm. I'm really scared now. Don't worry. I haven't like it's packed. A, it's, a... it's a pop up. <laughs> it's a pop up hat. Yeah, it's not. It's not going to detonate glitter into your house. <laughs> but like, idea for next time. Though. I'm really scared. It's fine. I'll just open it, Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's wrapped up as well. Oh God, it's like even more like suspense. It is a Mazepin hat. It's like a Russian doll. It's just a hat within a hat within a hat. <laughs> Oh, Fernando Alonso. Nice. There we go. Thank it suits you. as well. Like, there we are. I'm calling that a top tier choice. Happy with the Alonso hat? I am very happy with the Alonso hat. Thank you. I was trying to like figure out, I was like, it's definitely between like two. I was like, it's definitely either Fernando Alonso or Carlos Sainz. I was going to go for Pierre Gasly if we were having a second driver there. But... Yeah. No, that was the thing because I got myself a Charles hat. So I've got a Charles Leclerc hat, 16. And I thought it'd be weird if we sort of went twinning with hats. Especially because I. That's good because I've got a Ferrari hat upstairs. I'm glad I didn't bring that down now. Especially because my girlfriend bought a Carlos Sainz hat as well. So then it would look. I don't know what the connotations would be from there. So I was like, I'll play it safe. I know she likes Alonso. And the Kimawa hat never goes out of style. Like, he always has his... He doesn't have, like, a standard Alpine hat. It's, like, the Alonso hat. I'm going to wear it for the... Well, I might not wear it for the entire podcast. I might get too hot. I was going to say... You've already taken it off for starters, so you know. Well, I took the label off. There we go. I did also think... It better match, like, the green shirt. Otherwise, I'm, like, stuffed. Like, what if... I'm trying to think. Well, they all kind of match the green, though. I can't think of one immediately that wouldn't. I don't know. To be fair, if it was a Ferrari one and I was red and green, I'd look like a Christmas tree. So Yeah. Festive, though. I can get on board with that. Yeah. It's a bit sort of annual, very December. Anyway, we should probably... We're celebrating Jesus' birthday. It's a proper time of year. We should probably crack on with the podcast, so I'll probably play in the introduction here. Charles Leclerc started second in the race today. He sees the chequered flag. And B1. Yes, sir. Yes, come on.
Hamilton comes out. Is he ahead of Max Verstappen? No, he is not. Max Verstappen pulls the undercut on Lewis Hamilton. Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. This time we are back for a review of Formula One Austrian Grand Prix from Spielberg. We weren't there, but we did watch it. And joining me, as always, are my two excellent co-hosts, in Eddie May Taylor and Jesse Billington. How are you both? I don't want to say sweaty because that seems a bit disgusting for the audience to have to imagine that, but yeah. It's not the 4D experience we wanted to go for. Yeah, smell of vision, trust me. Yeah. Uh, Eddie May, you're quite happy, I think, with your recent discovery discovery present that we put in somewhere in this podcast. I'm I'm very happy with the hat, but a little bit depressed about the race. So I feel like now I'm just like at a level. <laughs> See what we've done here is she's out. balanced out. Yeah, we've neutralized <laughs> the problem. Um the problem, of course, being that we had an interesting Austrian Grand Prix, although a pretty terrible one if you're Carlos Sainz. It was going really well for him, but then it all of a sudden went less well and got very warm. Um, but we all get to In that. order to finish first, you have to first finish. This is very true. Thank you, Yoda. Um, I suppose we ought, to, we ought to have a look back and see what the hell has happened over the weekend. And um, we'll kick off with the sprint weekend. Well, it's a sprint weekend, for first of all, so no one liked that. Um, and... Yeah, the sprint itself, McLaren woes. Yeah, it was, again, like you said, sprint weekend, we are not a big fan of it, and McLaren weren't looking particularly strong there, or in qualifying on Friday. I mean, for Ricardo, for example, we all want him to do well because we love very much and we've got kind of blinkers on and we want more reality when it comes to him. And there's nothing wrong with that. And because of the practice session being just one of them for qualifying, they did some things to try and improve the Silverton, didn't really work, and then got the weird practice, second practice session, but then the rules are a bit hard for what you can and can't use on the car because it's all out of whack because you've got the bloody sprint in the middle of it. And yeah, it just kind of, they had a nowhere kind of sprint. And I mean, I'll touch on the sprint of August very briefly there in the sense that we had an interesting qualifying, I thought, um, especially as Mercedes, for example, looked like they were getting really on the pace, but then obviously they had a big boo with both cars crashing um, and having to have a monster to rebuild there. And it was this whole kind of thing of all the sprint really did was take us back to what the status quo was going to be. And with the exception on a personal note for me for the Brazilian sprint race last year, None of them have done anything for me, particularly. I've just been, I put out a meme on my Instagram, which was spoilers the ending scene of Burn Up Reading, where it's just, um, I forget the actor's name now, but JK Simmons just kind of sitting in a chair thinking, well, what did we learn? I'm not really sure not to do that. Just just don't do that. I don't know what we don't know why we did this. I actually, uh, well, I'm kind of going to disagree and say that I quite liked the sprint um i think we had some really good battles you know like mick and hamilton and the two ferraris which i think we'll probably uh, go on to later um but i think we, in terms of sprints i think we need to look at the bigger picture and it that every point counts especially in this championship and then it also means that you can 
Right, say for example, Sainz got points in the sprint, but then he didn't in the race. So it's not like a fully terrible weekend because he still got points and every point counts. And we know that from last year because without the sprint, we wouldn't have been on like level points going into the last race of the year between Verstappen and Hamilton. And But we also don't know that if we'd had the qualifying be the same as it was for the actual Grand Prix, what that would have done for the three Grand Prix we had it. So it's kind of ifs, buts and maybes just to, just to annoy you a little bit. Yeah, but I think it's a case of every point counts, especially when you look at how neither McLaren nor Fernando Alonso got points in the sprint and then they did in the race. And they're so tight in the Constructors' Championship that for them, those points count. And the sprint was that their opportunity for them, well, especially McLaren, to move up for them to be higher up in the grid order for the race. I know someone who would disagree with you, though, in terms of liking the sprint. And no, it's not just Jesse, because we know this, but Pierre Gasly would absolutely crucify you for this. He's had a terrible Imola, and then last... A terrible year, season. And, and just, sprint races are not his favourite either. But. He just doesn't like sprints. He's had a lap one incident. It, like, almost... Three out of four of them. Yeah. Which, Which is not hard. a good record that you want. It's a 50-50 record, and he's got no points in any sprint. Three out of four is more than 50-50, but yes. No, I mean, like, out of the six sprints that we've had, it's 50-50 in terms of... We've had six sprints. We've had five. We're five. still waiting for the sixth. Oh. Oh, well. <laughs> So uh, you should probably take the hat off if it's making you a bit hot, Ellie. <laughs> um, but yeah, sprint-wise, okay, right, I enjoyed the sprint. The action we saw in the sprint was good. The problem is the effect the sprint has on the Grand Prix. And it's the fact that the sprint is just the first 30% of the Grand Prix. And then we just add a middle 30% to the Grand Prix, i.e. the dull middle section of the Grand Prix, where you start getting a bit bored and looking on Twitter or Instagram. And all it's done is just stretched out the boring middle section of the Grand Prix just by moving the start of it to a Saturday. And yeah, you still get the excitement. You still get, if you have a different qualifying, you still get the grid sort of settling itself back down to who's where and what. And then you just get that running for a good while through the Grand Prix and it's, it becomes interminably dull. And I'm almost glad that I didn't see a lot of it because I was at the zoo and had terrible phone signal for most of it. So I didn't actually miss anything. At one point, I ran back to my car to put the call bag away, checked on BBC Sounds to listen to the um, commentary and tuned in just as Carlos Sainz turned out of turn one, is hammering up the hill, closing in on Max Verstappen, then all of a sudden his car catches fire. I'm like, okay, right, I've caught the excitement from the race, dropped down here and went back to looking at monkeys. And I mean, I feel like that's that's that, you, that was the Grand Prix and not the sprint because Carlos Sainz didn't send himself on fire twice. No, but, but aside the, from that, the, what the sprint works to is it dilutes the racing action and it spreads the actual racing action out over a longer period of time. And most racing action in a Grand Prix tends to happen either at the very beginning or the very end when you have cars setting off on different strategies or getting to the end of the race on different strategies. 
the middle section is always very boring. So I wasn't too annoyed about missing the middle section. And then I, obviously... I would I, I would disagree on the Grand Prix front of it, which is rare because I didn't think Austria was going to be a brilliant race. I think what was the one I was thinking of before now, but it was a better race than we thought it was going to Spain. I think this was like Spain in terms of we of what we thought we were going to get. We got a lot more than we bargained for, and I'm happy as a result of that. My expectations were quite low. And I think the middle of the race, for me at least, was still quite interesting. There was a lot going on, especially in the midfield. What problem I had with the sprint was that as great as the Schumacher and Hamilton battle was and what an absolute star Mick is, and I'm just loving him seeing no fear in taking it to Verstappen last time out in Silverstone and this time out with Hamilton. He does not give two hoops about who he's fighting. Um, he's going to place that car perfectly, but we can let Eddie May wax lyrical about that later. Um, for me, the thing that normally there was that in the sprint, it was just, if it wasn't for Mick versus Lewis, there wasn't really a lot else going on for me. And like you're saying, Eddie May, every point counts. So why the heck are the Ferraris so busy fighting each other when their main rival is with the sizable gap in the championships out front? Maybe you work together and go and get him if every point's so important instead of fighting each other and then. You can't get him because, like Jesse's saying, by the time you get to a point in the lap or point of the race, sorry, where you could do something about it, it's over because it's just a sprint. And then you've got to start to do all that all over again. I guess with a sprint, though, unless, apart from tyres, it cancels out all other strategy. So it's kind of the drivers on their own with the kind of car that they've got to try and do the best that they can. Rather than Which surely it, should be beating your main championship rather than not your teammate in this instance. Yeah, but my kind of more general point is that you're then not taking into account all the data going on sort of behind the scenes. It's more that the drivers have a chance to race. Yeah. I oh, know I'm just still uh, I just still don't like sprints. Yeah. It was it was better than what I thought. What it was, but at the same time, the bar was ridiculously low. It's still not so, providing the excitement that F1 hyped up to provide, and I still maintain that it makes sense. And the medal ceremony boring. looks terrible. Yeah, the medal better than the wreaths, but again, that was a very low bar. Yeah, the yeah, they just basically in the background of the driver interviews had some lady handing out medals. I must have missed if it was someone important, but it, it was someone with a handbag that oh, looked like it was more expensive than the medals. But yeah, we'll get back onto the more important things of the actual race um, where interesting things were happening. And Haas looks strong. And according to the notes, someone has written Schumacher villain era story activated. And for me, it's actually the low res image of Barney the dinosaur coming out of the cave going, whomst has awakened the ancient one. And yeah, it's it's him remembering. Which if you Schumacher. haven't seen this, look on our Instagram page, you can see it there. You're welcome for the plug. Um it's very much a case of Schumacher remembering. He's a Schumacher. It's like, um, it's very much a sort of Jedi thing. Like he's remembered he's got midichlorians and all of a sudden can go around and do dope stuff. And potentially he's found his form in the car, potentially he's found his, foot, found his feet in Formula One. It often takes him a while to find his feet in the series when he moves up. We've always said this, we said it we last year. We were touching on this last week about how in the second season he gets a bit stronger and the consistency is there now. He's good to go it's moving forward. He's not so much gotten stronger as his power level is now over 9,000. And his, his, his powers have doubled since the last time they met. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to cram in as many references as possible. Um, he's 
yeah, he's proven to be a good on-track battler. And that has, has come good. Apparently, they put upgrades on it. I wasn't aware as to which upgrades they yeah, put Yeah, they on. reminded Mickey's last name was Schumacher. That was all they did. Yeah, that was all that they just, I don't know. I think they just gave him loads of blue. He went, he went to talk to Uncle Lewis, had a play with Roscoe, and everything just kind of fell into place. He, he yeah, he went to the Degabar system to pet Roscoe, and uh, it got better after that. Um, but again, yeah. you're saying about Willem Story, because I want to give Eddie May the chance to touch on that. I remember sending in the group chat to you two, I've just found Nick Schumacher angry, and he looks so much like his dad. And it was just, it's kind of, I mean, we love him, and he's not going to turn into Darth Sidious or anything like this, but it just, it was nice to see him actually. It's possible for him to get annoyed. And of all the people who to get annoyed with, it was the team and Kevin. Well, I think it was nice to see that inner fire, that inner passion come out mm. and show that he is really fighting for this seat. He's not just being complacent with it and he can fight. But, I mean, I don't want to run away with that he's going to have, like, you know, like an excellent season and... Like, this is it for him, now he's on the up. Um, But it did make me sort of wonder, say he has this excellent season where he's fighting, you know, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, making them really fight for that overtake despite their car being better. Where does he go after Haas? Well, I'm glad you you asked me that question because guess what? I've got a theory for this. Yeah, Jesse's happy. There we go. I think he's going to stick with us for a bit, at least 24 until then, because if Hask can keep building up this momentum, there's no reason not to. And especially because you've seen with other drivers switching to other teams, it's the car may be good, but you might not adapt to it as well as you might want to. And we've seen that throughout the grid, or maybe you have a rough deal like better with Aston Martin, where there's a lot of promise, but no performance. So I think, because just because it would be a nice bit of mirror imaging in history and all that kind of thing, Lewis retires and Schumacher goes to Mercedes to I, replace. Because then you've got Schumacher, who was replaced by Hamilton, who's then replaced by Schumacher. I just arrived on there. I strangely had the same thought. Not that I'm like, having a great day with podcasts. People are agreeing with me at last. I've not, worn them down, ladies and gentlemen. I've worn them down. Not that, like, Hamilton will essentially retire soon, but I think Mick could be a possibility um, to take that second Mercedes seat. Either that or there's a weird left full curve and George goes to another team and you have the best marketing strategy for a team in history is you have Hamilton and Schumacher driving for the same team. Or <laughs> that, or one of the Ferrari boys gets... Annoyed. So I think he's either going to go Ferrari or Mercedes. I don't yeah. see him going anywhere else. Same. And then declaring, I am an F1 driver like my father before me. Which Jesse will get. He does. Um, I don't know. I think Mick's definitely got to, unless Haas do something phenomenal, they are working their way towards being a midfield team. And he could live there for another season or two, certainly. But if they don't, he really needs to start looking at bigger teams to move to. And the problem He's is still part of Ferrari Academy, remember, but so that yeah, that's the thing. Does so that, lead into that. He there's 
chance for Ferrari to have a bit of leverage and put him in places, but I think equally then he's tied to Ferrari seats and obviously a Ferrari seat won't be available for a while because they've signed Sainz and Leclerc for a bit. So the Mercedes seat, as much as it would be nice to have, again, German driver back at potentially a German team, it would be kind of kind of fun and funky fresh, but oh, I just can't see them doing it yet. It depends what Lewis does. And equally, I think it, it depends on Haas as well. If they can keep building this momentum, like you say, it doesn't matter that the contracts with Ferrari and Mercedes are a bit longer because even if Hamilton renews his contract, even if it's just for another year, it's 2025 or something, even by 2026, he might be then time to leave and decide, right, I need this top thing now. Or by that point, he just stays in house because it's turned into a potentially championship contender. What about Red Bull? Like, I don't uh, see it happening. But they've got about a billion drivers to deal with already. They don't need to add another one to that. I know, but how cool would it be to have a Stappen and Schumacher side by side? It would be cool, but it really ruins plans for Iwasa coming out of F2 and getting championships (laughs) on the bounce in F1 at uh, uh, Red Bull. But yeah. Alpha Tower would be more impressive. I was yeah. going to say, Alpha Tower, if Awasa comes into Alpha Tower, I mean, he had a good F2 weekend, <laughs> decent F2 weekend. There were points where it looked like it was going to be another Awasa podium. But yeah, if he can come into F- F1 and get two jumps. It's the only so- time I want to hear Crofty on commentary just for the sake of Awasa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be incredible. Anyway, you, back to talking the. Talking about something that didn't work on the opposite side of things, though Aston Martin's upgrades. They're doing a brilliant job of convincing Sebastian Vettel to stay with the team, aren't they? <laughs> they are doing a terrible job. Um, yeah, they are still ninth in the standings overall, and I think points-wise they are um, 18 points, which isn't bad considering Williams is on three, but it's not great considering they have not scored points since as of Canada. No, they scored points in... Britain as well, yeah. So they, yeah, they've scored points recently, but they're they just wildly inconsistent. Enough. Yeah, that's the thing. I keep looking at it. And there's been this sort of slow plodding climb of points, and they could, you just expect them to be doing better, especially when you do have Sebastian Vettel in that car. How bad of a car do you have to have made for Sebastian Vettel to struggle to score points? But can can you fully say that their race was down to the failing of their upgrades? I mean. Better. No, no, to be, to be fair, Stroll was in the other car, so that was a big damper. Oh. Hang on. <laughs> Vettel got hit in both the sprint and the race, which wasn't amazing for him, which meant that he just kind of, every time that he moved up, he just went straight back down again. Stroll oh. wasn't <laughs> doing that badly. It by lap 23, he was fifth and having his own little race of his own. And then... Yeah, was that not because no everyone else had pitted around him and he got there because he hadn't pitted yet? Yes, it was. Mainly, but he didn't fall back, which is that I was kind of watching him on the sidelines because no one obviously was really filming him because he was having kind of his own little race of his own. But, I mean, when he then pitted on like lap 29... <laughs> He then went back down to 15th, then moved his way back up into the points, but then just, he had some really good battles between like Mick, um, there with the, I think it was McLaren. I can't quite remember. My, my skin is crawling slightly because you're saying semi-positive things about the worst driver on the grid. 
and I just but you, to you get... genuinely didn't have a bad race. It was no, but on the other side of that, this is his fifth season in F one, and at this point, even if it's a bad car, like you say, and okay, Vettel, he had some damage. There's a we've we've excused him if we're going to give him an out. Stroll is is not new he has been around a while he's got a pole position he does all right in in work conditions he's got all these different experiences there he's been on the pool a few times and it's like okay it's he did all right but it's like jesse and i were saying in the feeder series podcast i hesitate to say the word good driver but decent driver but not to f1 standard and it's like okay cool but is an all right race and not too bad and occasional battling, which is kind of stuff you expect from all of the drivers anyway, because otherwise, why the hell are you in F1 in the first place? It's just kind of, you're ticking off the basics. Yeah, the, the science thing, looking looking back at like the lap data and the position data, he does get into fifth place purely because a lot of people around him pit. And then obviously he pits, tumbles down the order to 15th. Works his way up to a high of eighth again, then pits once more for a second pit stop, and then fails to really come back from fifteenth to come home thirteenth. So it's, I don't know, something about it wasn't right. And equally, as the race went on, he actually finished lower than where he started, despite there being retirements in the field ahead of him. That's that I kind think, of really helps my point there a lot. So I do thank yeah, you for that. <laughs> yeah, that you obviously had. Uh, let's see, Science retired ahead of him. Obviously, you had Latifi roughly in the same field retire as well. So they're the two retirements. But you'd expect him to at least finish where he started if you had a driver ahead of him retire. But he finished down from that. And I think that in a race where we'll, he looked like at points to have been doing well, he all of a sudden wasn't. And again, it's Either the Aston Martin is an absolute pig of a car to drive and potentially we're being too harsh on him, or at the same time, this is basically your team, my dude. How have you not sort of had said, if, of... if any driver's getting preferential treatment there, it's going to be him and he's going to get upgrades first and whatever, and whatever these supposed Aston Martin upgrades were and circling about around to this point, they didn't work because they still finished outside the points and lowered them where he started, and that was without damage. Yeah, okay. just... A bit of both. Like, I agree completely with what you're saying. Like, I have the exact same sort of, um, I don't know, oh, no, that like he kind of just kept sort of falling backwards. But I still think he did the best that he could in that, in the potential of the car, potentially. I think he, like, that car just doesn't, didn't, wasn't really doing that. I'll agree with yeah. you on that one, but I would also then just be interested to see, which again, we're not going to be able to see because this isn't going to happen, someone else that isn't Vettel in that car then who could do that because with these upgrades, whether it would be Hulkenberg coming back in and subbing for Lance just to see if we could get something that way, have more consistency of that one, or just take another driver who's actually been driving all season in a different team in that car to see what they could do to see if how much of it is the car and how much of it is the driver because it's... It's like you say, it's, there's maybe that balance and okay, like just say, maybe being a little too harsh, but at the same time, that's my bread and butter for this occasionally. And I just still think that for a driver with as much experience as he should have, it's not really translating. But then you could say that, could you not say that with 
Vettel as well then? Well, we, I was going with your excuse that you're giving him that he had damage, so he's forgiven for not doing well. I just want to give them both <laughs> benefit of the doubt for this race. I'm, go, I'm going, I'm going back on what could. I think I said last week or in some other podcast where it's like, I don't care about how I feel about the Vettel. I'm treating it purely business and at work and they're both not doing a good enough job for whatever reason. In Vettel's case, the car and in having a bit of damage in Stroll's case lacking a bit of it. How much would it cost to get Felipe Drugovic a private test at Aston Martin and for us to know the lap times he produces in a car that Lance Stroll has driven? I think that'll be I'll our send him now. a message and we'll find out. Send him a message, ask him, see whether or not he's got the funds floating around. It would be interesting <coughs> because he's someone we keep touting, a lot of other people keep touting as sort of potentially being like an Aston Martin future there, but they have no junior drivers. Drugovic is doing all right in Formula 2. I used to say dominating, but he's sort of a bit of a doldrums at the moment um, but it would be worth putting him into an Aston Martin and seeing if he can produce lap times akin to Lance Stroll's then obviously with a bit of driver coaching in a Formula 1 car you'd assume that he might be able to outperform Stroll but I think we don't want to dwell on bashing Lance Stroll too much because we seem to do it most podcasts instead decide to and not deliberately I stress this Elena I don't want to do this but it's news-ish, and I just feel like we got to touch on it a little bit because Daniel Ricciardo, again, they changed some things in practice and it didn't work for qualifying, and because of the weird way the sprint works, they, didn't, they couldn't really do much about that. But he did finish in the points, albeit behind Lando, who had worse issues, it would seem, with his car, and they've got double points finished. But again, it kind of... Had forced Zach Brown to reiterate that he'll be racing with McLaren in 2023, but again, very interestingly worded there because he didn't specify which series he'll be racing in. We were just determined to assume it's Formula One, but because they've got this fun thing with driver contracts that allows them to switch them out between their many different motorsport series, it makes you think, is Zach saying what we want to hear and we were meant to hear it a certain way, but he's got himself covered off in case he wants to change his mind because... We keep hearing rumours of Piastri to Williams for next year, for example, but you'd think maybe if we don't hear about that over the summer break, is Mark Webber looking at Ricardo and thinking he can orchestrate a deal there for Piastri instead? And then DeFries instead goes to Williams, Ricardo goes to IndyCar and Rosenquist, who is in IndyCar and has signed for McLaren for a few more years, but hasn't specified also which series he goes in, goes to Formula E. You don't like that. And I don't like that because we want to see Ricardo do well, but it's his ninth place enough if he keeps doing it for the next couple of races to secure his future, or does he really need to, on merit and not just through DNF for Lando or something, he needs to really be Lando or something, and I don't see how that's happening at the moment. I mean, I just simply put into that section the notes that Dan, Zach Brown did say Danny Rick will still be at McLaren for 2023, and again, I put no word on what series... I don't know how strongly to take the rumours that basically McLaren is now one giant corporation from which they will just shuffle you from department to department. I don't think it's like... It makes a bit more sense than other driver academies because at least then you're guaranteed a seat somewhere rather than just being having to figure it out later. It I makes... don't like the idea of Ricardo leaving because we love him, but it's at least... Maybe he maybe it would be a blessing in disguise and he goes and immediately becomes IndyCar champion. You'd have to know what was in their contracts to see whether there, whether there's a clause that switches them around. I mean, 
literally the only um, notes I made on Ricardo for the whole weekend <laughs> were that in the sprint, when he was behind Norris, he said, I'm faster than him, let me pass. The mechanic, the engineer said, oh, we'll look into that around about lap 16. And then we heard nothing else. Mm. And it's... What? Which I think is telling in some ways because it's if you're not willing to risk it in a sprint where you're fine anyway because you're going to be doing all right because you're close enough together to switch it back if it doesn't go to plan. It raises some questions, to me anyway. Yeah, I guess you've got to look at how much did it hinder Ricardo staying behind Norris, but then you could also argue if Ricardo was faster, why didn't he just overtake those three DRS zones? Yeah. Yeah, why do you why do you sit there and wait to be told you can overtake when if you know you can overtake and know you're faster, when you overtake and yeah catch up to whoever's ahead, especially because Norris had been sort of suffering reliability issues, trust issues with his brakes. He said I think it was during one of the practice sessions or qualifying sessions that he didn't have any faith in the front end brakes on this car, and if you you're up against a teammate that's potentially in a bit of a dip, it's a chance for you to shine and. Danny Rick didn't walk away from this weekend shining. Yeah, sure, they both walked away with points, but yeah, so did Haas. Haas walked away with double points, your point is. And it feels bad that we can still use Haas as like a bum joke in that regard, but that's... It also sort of feels in it. the same way that McLaren, it should be assumed you're going to get double points because you're McLaren, and in the grand scheme of things, Haas have only just turned up. Yeah, that's the argument. Is a case of as much as we joke about Haas getting double points... Hass are now your rivals, and people were asking Lando about this through the weekend, and he seemed quite blasé about it. They were saying, oh, do you, do you need to be worried about the Alpine and the Hass?" And he was like, oh, I, I don't think so. I think we'll just have to race them on track. And he was like, news alert, Lando. Yeah, you did have to race them on track. And it uh, turns out, um, ugh, don't know how to say this nicely, they're fast, and you either need to look at building a better car, because the McLaren isn't able to really take the fight to its rivals in quite the way that it had been previously. Talking of kind of inconsistency, though, it's everyone's favourite topic, track limits. Someone take this away from me before I go off on a run that is going to be longer than the entire podcast has been so. I, will, I volunteer as, um, as tribute for this. Uh, track limits. The FIA are horrendously inconsistent. They like throwing out either track limit penalties to people that stray over the white lines, or when it comes to battling between drivers, they have so many different opinions on it. Yeah, it's always the same thing. Um, we obviously saw drivers being pushed wide hither and thither around the circuit, and some drivers being handed penalties for it, some not. Um, I think the long forty-three and the vein penalties it, in total. Forty-three penalties in total. The long and vain, long and the vainly of it is that the FIA needs to pull their stuff together and, yeah, just do better. I think if you want more details about it, I know Eddie May is going to write about it in her key takeaways. I don't feel we ought to harp on about it too much as every F1 podcast is going to be saying the same thing. I know we said it in the feeder series stuff. Just do better, FIA. You have your big sort of hub of stewarding in Switzerland where you monitor all these things with literal sort of VAR in a big office where people go, that's an infringement. Yet, yeah, you have no means of doing it with any sort of normal regularity, despite having all these systems in place that you should be able to do it. And it's frankly disappointing. And I don't feel it's worth 
Timo also ranting about it, which is partly why I stole his point, so he could shuffle on to uh, things more optimistic, potentially. Winners and spinners being what that is. Yeah, winners and... is a bit more optimistic. It's got winners in it, I suppose. Well, exactly. And I was a bit torn because there were three entities, I'm going to say here, that I wanted to choose, but I, I saw Ellie Mays and I'm not going to steal her because And instead, I'm going to say, first of all, Espinacon, his 100th Grand Prix, good qualifying, decent sprint, very nice Grand Prix. Fifth place, lots of battling, showed that he'd learned a few things in his 100 Grand Prix so far. And you've got to say it's the perfect momentum to take into his own Grand Prix front. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It's a nice little milestone for him to reach. He's certainly proven why he's in Formula One, why he's stuck around in Formula One. He's a good racer and had a very good weekend of things, which is hopefully he'll be able to carry that momentum forwards. But speaking of someone who's picked up a bit of momentum and is hopefully going to carry it forwards, is someone who's just had their first win since the 10th of April, which seems ages ago, and in reality it is. Charles Leclerc, I think I'm going to put him down as my winner this weekend. He had a pretty <coughs> dominant race. He made Max Verstappen seem like he'd left the handbrake on in his car. He had the pace in that Ferrari and was very lucky to not have any major reliability issues. He was suffering through the race, I believe, with a sticky throttle that left him at around somewhere like 20 to 30% throttle at all times, which is not what you want, especially with tight, slow corners around Austria. You don't want to be trying to do that with so a stuck throttle. in particular was the, the bogey one, potentially there. Because also the car doesn't shift down if it knows you've got throttle applied and it's going to spike the RPM too high. So it did leave him with a bit of a problem there. But nonetheless, he drove around it and made Max look like he was travelling in slow motion. Carlos Sainz was doing... For for all of the the kind of domination-ish that we've seen from Max and Red Bull in other races, we've never, this year so far, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, We've seen Max and Charles fight together on the same lap, the same position, without pit stops really getting involved. We've, but when Max has been... He's, Max hasn't done to Charles what Charles did to him this weekend, which was just consistently overtake him, go pit, and then overtake him again, go pit, and then overtake him again, and do it without it, making, without it looking like it's difficult at all. It looked like he was doing it to a has. Yeah. Sorry, has. <laughs> And it's his first win, not from pole, which I think is pretty... Which is weird, because I didn't really notice that. Mm. Yeah, and it's... Whenever you kind of see the battles with Max and Charles, I guess, certainly more recently, it's always kind of more so been Max the one that comes out winning from it. So Mm. Charles really needed to show that, actually, we can do this, and we are able to fight for the championship yeah it uh, i mean i think we've mentioned it previously the fantastic <coughs> statistic of max has won more races from a Charles pole than Charles has won races from a Charles pole and now Charles has turned that around and he's won from should a max have got pole. that office meme should have got that office yeah it oh how the turntables and here we go mm-hmm. Charles is he's getting his championship back on the track he's closed up a little bit of a gap to Verstappen now over the weekend but crucially he's now leapfrogged Perez who did not have a good weekend of things only picked up about four points yes. I think I'm correct in saying over bad. the weekend okay. yeah so uh, he's he's ahead of Perez in the standings now and is closing up on Max it's going to take him a, I think it's another two almost three wins to do so but he's he's back in the fight anything can happen in Formula 1 
anything can happen. Although, speaking of people who are now in the fight, Ellie May's winner. My winner is Nick Schumacher. I mean, this is the second week in a row that he's got points. He And the second week in a row that he's fought a world champion and really fought them. Um, The car placement was just perfect every single time. How are you just... Where is this Mick been? He basically made sure that if Hamilton was going to overtake him most of the time, he had to do it around the outside, which Hamilton couldn't do. And it just consistently kept Hamilton behind him. And then in the race, he overtook Hamilton when Hamilton made an error at turn one over the sausage curbs. Like, Mick was right there waiting <coughs> for Hamilton to make an error. And it happened. Which You've got to think better watching that is, is just that, that look of satisfaction on his face. I thought this board well. It's good. <laughs> but how many times do you even see Lewis Hamilton make an error? as well twice twice this weekend but i think that's him done for the next 10 years now yeah Mm, but one of them could almost be a a forced error from mick schumacher and a has breathing down his neck Mm. he knows he's got to try and get clear space otherwise mick's sitting in a slightly faster car in the drs with three drs zones mick is coming back through at least one of them and lewis would have been looking to capitalize through turn one and made that mistake and Mick was able to yeah bring the fight back to him which again there's there's been a gear change in Mick's driving and hopefully the summer break isn't going to interrupt that too much with the sort of the long break gap away if anything I hope it's going to sort of multiply it up a bit more I do like I do like the idea of as well that as frustrating as it must have been Hamilton both times there was probably a little bit of him that had a smirk on his face so I think he you know what? Fair play, because you know you you've been in in that car. You've not been doing brilliantly. You've woken up, and you know how much he enjoys the fight anyway. He doesn't as, as much as he can in in Brazil last year, as one example, just overtake you on his absolutely no issue whatsoever. He does enjoy that fight a bit, and I think if anyone was to do that to him, I don't think he minds a lot of it, Nick. Mm. I mean, when you look at the standings since Canada, Mick was placed nineteenth. Then Britain 17th, Austria 15th. Like, it's not a meteoric. He's only a point off Vettel as well, isn't he? He is not that far off Vettel at all at this point in time. Let me see, according to the big list, Vettel is currently on 15 points and uh, Schumacher is currently on 12. Um, But he's not far off it yet. He's a point ahead of Sonoda. But again, it puts him in that sort of punching region that just about extends as far ahead as Ricardo but puts him miles clear of Stroll, Albon, and uh, Joe. So, interesting zone. Do you think we could see him in the top 10 in the Drivers' Championship by the end of the season? We'd have to sacrifice someone like Alonso or Bottas for that. We're not sacrificing Alonso. Well, yeah, I'm just telling you what you're asking here. (laughs) This is the price you've got to pay. I mean, I think it's. We can't even sacrifice Ricardo because he's not even there. It's a big ask because Magnussen's only P11 and he had arguably the better start and is now coming back into a similar period of form. So I think it's it's a big ask. If he continues performing like this, wouldn't rule it out though. There's 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 my bold prediction for for anyway. There's my ultimatum. You can have Mick in the top ten, but you've got to sacrifice Max for it. (laughs) 
and somehow the points get so wild in the, in the next Grand Prix that, that that somehow happens. I mean, Red Bull reliability could vanish. Yeah. Would you Would you take that? I mean, I said at the start of this season when Ferrari showcased their car for the first time, I said that looks like a championship winning car. So they kind of do have to prove me right. But <laughs> or she'll come knocking and trust me. She yeah. will. I will be really annoyed. I've been waiting so long. Um, but then I'm not opposed to Red Bull winning either. So at the minute Don't sit I'm, on the fence like that. At honestly. the minute I'm sitting pretty. Mind you, speaking of uh, constructors that don't Teams look that to be not uh, sitting pretty, not sitting yeah. pretty, unlikely to win the constructors' title. Alpha Tauri, your spinner Timo. Yeah, bit of a horseman your show this weekend. As is seeming to be the norm for them at the moment. I mean, Gasly, as we mentioned at the top of this, just did not have a spin race he wanted, mainly because it was more or less over by turn before turn one even happened. Um, and then the race, just no pace, no nothing, really. And, mm, yeah, it's just a very blair weekend. And I don't know what the heck happened to them. I mean, you look at last year and the beginning of this year, even though they were doing, at least Sonoda was doing all right. Gasly is just seeming to, to have some of the worst luck in the world. And I don't know how we curse him accordingly to, to combat that. I've not figured out that part of the magic syllabus yet. We, we didn't get that in Hogwarts training. Um, but... Yeah, the, just, the whole thing just doesn't look great. And as much as they keep insisting that those two will be their drivers next year, it takes us back to this Aston Martin discussion earlier for how much of it is the car and how much of it is the driver. And if ultimately Marco decides it's the drivers, do we see a completely new lineup there next year or is it too soon for that? Do we wait another couple of races, see what they can do before the summer break before we start opening that can of worms? I don't think it's worth teams having two new rookies in their team because I think we saw that with Haas last year. I mean, okay, one of them was Nikita Mazepin. But I think you need you need an experienced driver there to help you develop your car and better it whilst teaching the other, other driver. I countered that with Pierre Gasly this year, though. As much as I don't want to. Because he's an experienced driver, he's been in Red Bull, he's been in Alpha Terry, he's been there for a long time, he's helping develop new guys, supposedly teaching Yuki and helping him there, and yet these are the results we're having for them. I mean, consistently. it's completely new regulations, though. Yeah, but all the teams have that as well, so it's not as if it's just Alpha Terry they've decided to be mean to until he can design a whole new car to these rules, but we'll keep the Mercedes from last year for everyone else. No, I know. And you've got to think Red Bull's giving them some help as well there because it's all the same outfit and, okay, I'm not expecting them to be on the same level with Red Bull, but not expecting them to be so far in the opposite direction now and I mean, it's if Aston Martin do have to have a turnaround, it's not an awful lot of points they need to get to overtake Alvatar now. If you know Jesse has the the table there, I don't think it's a massive points difference. Um, Aston Martin are on eight, Alvatar on twenty seven, Haas now on thirty four, having uh, with their points haul in Austria, Haas now have usurped Alvatar. 
Let's say that if Aston Martin somehow get their stuff together and have a double point finish the next two races, and now Qatari keep on their trend, that's them done before the summer then. I would say that Gasly probably started off his season not that great. And then now recently he's just had pretty bad luck. Whilst Sonoda had a very good start of the season and is now not doing as well. So then it's like, who do you even get rid of if you are going to get rid of someone? They both have you just be very harsh and you fire both of them. And then you can't say you play favourites. Because it's, it's the only thing, as much as we again might like them, and as much as bad luck and all the rest of it plays into it, you're still going to be based off you know, how good you are based off um, your last race. And they've got to find a way to deal with that. If that's going to be Bottas bowling at Budapest again, which I feel like there's a fun rap in there for you somewhere, um, then that's the way we've got to do it. But they, I don't know what solution they need there. Well, I know what solution they need, but they just don't seem to have any way of implementing it. I mean, they haven't scored points since Azerbaijan. So if you're as good as your last race, they better hope that their last race is in anyone's mind is Azerbaijan, where they scored, even then they scored 10 points, which not a huge haul considering the points available in the sort of top 10. And since then, yeah, nothing in Canada, nothing in the UK. And then again, nothing in Austria. And yeah, they're sort of in a bit of a no man's land at the moment, points wise. Um, yeah, they're at risk of Aston Martin catching them. So it's it's not good for Alpha Tauri. I'll quickly throw What's my... What's not good for, for Austria as a whole, though, is Jesse Spinner. It's something that we will touch on at the end. We'll get to our little bum notes section, but I'll mention them as my spinners because, just frankly, it was quite abhorrent when you sort of started to look into what was going on this weekend at the Red Bull Ring. And the general behaviour of the fans. I don't like to generalise because I assume there were some perfectly nice and fine people there, some perfectly nice sort of Dutch and Austrian fans enjoying the Formula One. But at the same time, there was a significant or notable group of people who were sort of irresponsible and not good role models for the sport or good examples or ambassadors for the sport. And we will touch on specifically their behaviour and what they did later in sort of a, a section where we can fully uh, delve into the issues. But uh, yeah, stick around for that bit. Which just means... your spinner for Austria. I've got three, actually. Kind of ties into... Well, I completely agree with, with what Jess said. Kind of agree with what Timo said as I put Gasly... I guess I could probably go into a whole of Alpha Tauri. Carlos, I mean, he was going to probably get second place. So what's that, 18 points? And he got none. He was, what, coming into Austria, only 11, behind, 11 points behind Charles. And now that gap's in the 30s, I think. Five, five points off. George is only five points behind him now, which to bring him back into play, it's, it's not what Carlos was wanting. There, we've got to we've got to go up, not down. There's a gap of uh, thirty-seven points between Charles and Carlos. Yeah, and oh, when that when I saw that puff of smoke come out that engine, I could have cried. But we 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 all had a 
regretful moment because it's as, as much as I wanted that Hamilton podium, I didn't want that at that cost. <laughs> but no, I don't want to sacrifice Carlos for this. This is not not what we agreed. Did you do it? Yes, but at what cost? Yeah, and then, yeah, my third, my third or fourth, I don't even know how many spinners I've got at this point anymore. Red Bull, because they just didn't have an answer to Ferrari's pace. And Ferrari were on plan E and they still beat him, beat them. Uh, plan E for to be explode. Fair, plan E was explode. Yeah. <laughs> Team and I both running for the exact same joke there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can definitely side with your Red Bull being a bit of a spinner and the fact that they just had no answer for Ferrari's pace on track. And I think they got lucky in the fact that Carlos Sainz suffered an issue and had it not been for that, it could have been a very bad weekend for Red Bull. But um, yeah, Oof. mind you, speaking did of not give who, them wings, it did not give them wings. Mind you, speaking of people who did not have good weekends, it's probably time to look back at our predictions. Really, let me just find the spreadsheets. I'm, I'm not even. Can we, can we include sprint? No. Well, this is the interesting thing. Like, do we include the sprint or not? I think it no, because we forgot about it. We forgot about it last week, so therefore we can't just suddenly convene. Well, we can just include them. It's fine. Well, let's see because <laughs> just try to steamroll over everything. I say that. I think we should take the predictions as read by the final standings at the end of the weekend, and um, that means the Grand Prix. So, pole position, which is unanimous whether or not it's um, the sprint or not, uh, it was of a Stappen pole, which means that um, Timo earned no points for Perez pole. I earned no points for a Leclerc pole, but Ellie May got a point for Verstappen pole. Um, first place which we're regarding this as the Austrian Grand Prix, not Sprint. Um, Verstappen was anyway's prediction. It was also Timo's prediction. Nil point there. I went for a Leclerc win, so I get a point. Hey. Um, second place was Science for myself, Leclerc for Timo, Perez for Ellie May, so no points for second place at all. Uh, third place, Perez for myself, Science for Timo, and Science for Ellie May, so no points there either fastest lap both team and myself going for george russell did not get fastest lap but ellie may gets a point for verstappen fastest lap congratulations that puts you on two um then our madcap predictions anyway you predicted danny rick top 10 in all sessions i, I should have gone for the race shouldn't i should have gone for the race because uh, i don't think he did it in fp1 so you immediately lost that mm-hmm. i did check that and thought oh dear never mind uh, Timo reverse cursed, uh, pulled the Uno Reverso card on Alpine. He went for Alpine bottom 10. Uh, they scored points. I'm in... working out the strategy to what, I, what my powers are here. This is like that bit in Shazam where they don't quite know what his powers are. So they're just sort of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you Uno Reverso to Alpine into getting points in both racing sessions. So congratulations there. They were not bottom 10. And I went quite bold actually with Haas getting double points for the second time. Second bounce, second week in a row, and uh, points for this guy. Um, the I, end- I, I'm willing to sacrifice this whole championship with you two and the various guests if I can influence reality. So I will take them. Is that if you got I'm like not disappointed? I mean, I, I, I said this last week with Max as well. If I predict him for winning, I either am right and I get a point, and that's good for me, or he doesn't, and I get personal satisfaction. 
And I did because, you know, it didn't happen. So personal I'm guessing I must have a reality stone somewhere. Personal satisfaction is a bit harsh on Max. He still came second. I don't know what you're moaning about. Well, you also then cursed my predictions and then wouldn't let me have my first or second wild prediction. I had to go for the third one. That's because those weren't wild predictions. Did they come true either? My second one was a wild prediction. The leader goes and went everywhere, and I can't even remember the second one. Was so my second one was has to get points again. That yeah, was copying Jesse, so you can't be doing it, that. It wasn't because that was my second one. Just Stop moaning, Ellie, mate. You and I are still leading the championship, both of us on yeah, 10 You're beating points. me, and you're just annoyed that you don't have this effect on reality like I do. Timo, we're not beating you. We're now on double your points. <laughs> that, is, that is beating me, to be fair. We're annihilating you. We're on 10, you're on 5. The uh, accumulative guest is on 6. I don't mind. Um, it's although not about the winning, it's about the taking part, and I'm having jolly good fun with it. Although, as I maintain that we are a fair podcast, um, Ellie Mae, I do keep a race average uh, because, of course, Ellie Mae was not with us for the first few races of the season. Her race I'm average is... Minus points average. Uh, you can't have an average of... I suppose you can have an average of negatives. Um, Ellie Mae's average is 0.556 points per race. Mine is 0.455. So she technically leads with a higher average. Even if we didn't let her have her lederhosen predictions or let her pick her predictions for the sprint because that gave her more points still. For people who did listen to the previous episode, they've got more questions and answers about that now. That's the exact reason why you won't give sprint points is because then I will then lead. I'm simply doing a Michael Massey and just this championship is working to my beck and will. Speaking of sections of this podcast that I completely control, it's time for Constructors Countdown. Williams still trail and pack in 10th place, pointless since Miami. 9th place is still home to Aston Martin, trailing 8th place Alpha Tauri by 9 points. 7th belongs to Haas, making a valiant climb back up the rankings. 6th and in a bit of a no-man's land, dry since Canada is Alfa Romeo. McLaren and Alpine now tie on 81 points, though McLaren lead courtesy of Norris's podium in Imola, Enstone in 5th, Woking 4th. Desperately trying to keep pace with the horses and bulls ahead is Mercedes in 3rd. Ferrari closes the gap to Red Bull, inching into the 300 points club, and Red Bull still leads on 359 points. Moving on from my favourite little section there of Constructors Countdown, it's time for what is ultimately Timo's not favourite section, probably alongside his predictions. Um, his fantasy Honestly, I did all right this week, or by my standards. It was by only your... Paris that screwed me over. By I your still got standards. points from him. By your standards. Let's just I got probe... 40 points more than the podcast did. So let's see. Austria points. Yeah, you might have got 40 points more of Sunny Jim, but I've won overall with 287 points this week. So you do up that yours. anyway. So Big points haul for Jaffa Cake Racing. Um, although the highest, racing. Um, the highest ranked listener was uh, James Baldwin with Rememory at 281 yeah. points. Um, Lottie if you want to hear an Australian fun podcast, that's where he's from. Yeah. Um, Although also friend of the podcast on 266 points, Lottie talks cars with LTC Racing. So she's not doing too badly either. But well, overall, she was also very sad about Carlos Sainz. As well. Yeah, this is also true. She is a big Carlos Sainz fan. I think she got a hat when she was at Silverstone. Um, overall for the championship, though, actually, let's have a look and see what Timo did get in Austria. Let's humour him. The podcast. 189, 190, I think I got. Uh, the podcast got 156 points and Timo got. 
<laughs> oh my god, you were in the top ten. Hundred and ninety-six points this week, which what, puts you tenth. There's less than ten. <laughs> there are twenty-one teams in this in this championship. Um, but overall, as the season stands, Alex H still leads. Um, I've lost my uh, joint second place with my BRT Yamaha team. Didn't have a good weekend because they have uh, sites in it. But it does mean that Jaffa Cake Racing is actually slowly catching up. But uh, yeah, it's all change at the top in the uh, fantasy league, um, which means we'll move on from arguing about our fantasy world to the disappointing reality of the real world. And um, we'll start off with something not quite as bad. Uh, sausage curbs bad. Um, they buggered Villa Gomez's race in the F3 sprint, buckling his rear suspension as he got spun round. And then over in Monza, they shattered a 911. Um, literally, it it's went quite sideways. It's a peculiar thing to watch. It didn't, you try and figure out how the hell it actually did manage to do that. It, just, it's, it looked like just two terrible things happening side by side rather than one causing the other, but it was one causing the other. It's very yeah. hard. It's it's a strangely beautiful crash to watch, especially because everyone walked away from perfectly fine. But it's again a case of sausage curbs really proving to be worse than any other potential curb because of the damage they simply inflict on cars without improving racing or providing a safe racing space. So hmm. it'll be interesting to see how this season's racing handles when we head to Monza in not that long of race time. Of, in the future i know english um although something worse than sausage curbs was the behavior of fans at the red bull rings is something i alluded to with my spinners earlier on in the podcast and um fans at the red bull ring were subject to racism sexual harassment and homophobic behavior from other fans over the grand prix weekend which is i mean i don't feel we ought to point it out but it is unacceptable and reprehensible but um it's just a shame that it's happening at weekends and ruining people's days out and enjoyment of the sport if they're paying a lot of money to go along to enjoy the sport they like in person and they then have to put up with this behaviour. And it's frankly it's shocking and it does beg the question, what are F1 going to do about it? Well, yeah, I mean, we saw more that... than just putting a social media post out saying this is a abhorrent behaviour. They, and I know that they said that, oh, we'll talk to the Austrian Grand Prix hosts about this, but I think they need to do more than talk about it. They need to set a precedent of this is what we expect at a race weekend. You need to implement it. Otherwise we won't come back because it's completely unacceptable. And why are then Mercedes and Aston Martin then hosting their own fans to make sure that they're safe? They shouldn't, that's not their responsibility on a race weekend. And it's just, it's just unacceptable behaviour. And it's, I know it's just come out in Austria, but it's not specific to Austria. This happens all the time, all the races. And why is it taking people going to social media for them to finally say something about it? This should have never happened in the first place. I mean, yeah, obviously we can't sort of say that this is specifically something that's happened at this race weekend. It's something that's come to a head. Uh, yeah, uh, this weekend, it's something that became sort of simply unmutable and uh, to a point that it was reached a new sort of pinnacle of abhorrency. 
and yeah, it's it shouldn't be on the race teams to host safe spaces for their fans where they can enjoy the sport without being sort of verbally abused. And it's not on. There's been some sort of shocking and strange football hooliganism style pictures circulating around the internet of Dutch fans or Max Verstappen fans burning sort of Mercedes caps and stuff. And you're thinking, why? And the worst, I don't want it to reflect badly on Max Verstappen either. And it's not up to him to control how his fans behave. Obviously, he has some level of control over it. He can put out statements on social media, but he he can't be actually physically there policing how his fans behave. And I don't I feel want like it's, it. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where regardless of what Max says, I mean, obviously, he's not encouraging them or anything. He's doing the complete opposite of that and saying that, again, with when you had various uh, fans... Um, cheering when Hamilton crashed up, that he was very much against that. Because again, it's like, you may um, look on a certain drivers doing badly in a favourable way, but you shouldn't be celebrating on that side, side of things either, because especially when it's a crash and you don't know what's happened yet. And on the other side of things, it's this whole thing of, even if Max says all these right things, because of how people's perceptions are these days, they've probably just always been told to say that he doesn't actually believe it. And you just, it doesn't matter what you say either way, that they'll still do whatever they need to do. And it's kind of where you then, how do we deal with that? You go on to the next level and you go maybe with Total Wolves approach, which is essentially just telling them all to F off and kind of, well, you don't want to have to go in your direction, but if that's the only language you understand and with ones with actual power to do this, so maybe if I do tell you this, you might listen, because otherwise, you'll just be watching it yeah, most on your sofa at home. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with football supporters where there'd been sort of racist chanting towards black players previously. They'd received lifetime bans from supporting going along to matches. And obviously it's a system that's clearly implementable. And I believe that Formula One almost certainly has the sort of technology and the manpower to enforce such a thing by simply sort of saying, we aren't going to actively sell tickets. Obviously, if you buy your tickets from a ticket sale or a second-hand site, that's going to be trickier to support. But again, there's got to be a means it's to... It's much what Lewis was saying. You don't want the whole we, we race is one thing to have just been words. You need to back that up with them. Mm. Well, I think the way that... I know it's certainly in international games, if you want to... Um, that's football, that is. If you want to go to a game, you need to give them your passport details so and then that way that's how they then police it of then if they've got your passport details you, you're then banned and mm. i think that's maybe perhaps how you do it yeah when you purchase a ticket you have to assign either your driving license number or passport number to it so you bring along either piece of documentation and that's cross-referenced to a list of banned persons from a attending events to simply prevent people that essentially become known for aggressive and unacceptable behavior from attending formula one events because again i've been to silverstone twice went to abu dhabi all three times were fantastic experiences and potentially again i'm fortunate speaking from a straight white guy's sort of perspective that i never had to suffer the indignity of racist sexual homophobic abuse it was not a thing that i had to endure and i can't imagine it's in any means pleasant to have to do so but at no point did I feel the atmosphere even lent towards that so I can't even imagine just how terrible it would have been to be in that situation. I'm curious to see a study of the Grand Prix to see which 
then use, I mean, again, it's hard to necessarily do, see how accurate you can make it, but for do some kind of thing where you measure it per Grand Prix weekend, you see where the issues are more prominent, if there is a trend there or not, just like you say, Silverstone less so, Abedami less so from your side of things, but again, it's one person in a crowd of 400,000, Silverstone's case, it's, you need a few people then to find a way to do that, but again, F1 and the FIA, they're not a small organisation last time I checked, so if they really wanted to, they could put the money into doing that so that they can properly figure out what the best way to, to solve this is. Because yes, otherwise, yeah. what are you going to do? You just keep letting it happen and you just say, oh, we, we condone this and we've put out a statement. Woo. Yeah, I mean, we've already used the phrase in this football hooliganism. One sport has become so synonymous with atrocious fan behaviour that it's developed its own phrase and potentially... Un- and we don't want to have to think on up for, for that for F1, do we? Yeah, I don't, oh, I don't, I don't think it's... To gatekeeping Formula 1 or being overly protective over it but I don't want to see the sport I like go in that sort of direction I think that's quite a fair thing to want I don't think it's a negative thing to want to have about your sport a slight positive spin to just put on the end of that in terms of lightheartedness anyway that uh, when you find if you have been a dick and you get banned accordingly the way they tell you is the image of Fernando Alonso with wagging the finger comes up and just saying (laughs) not allowed when you go to buy your tickets, you just get the uh, a little gif of Fernando Alonso waggling his mm. finger at Yuki Tsunoda, which, again, was very much a perfectly Fernando Alonso thing to happen. But, yeah, we should probably find a way of sort of having a proper upbeat note to finish this instead of just finishing on bum notes. I'm going to disappoint you here because I wanted to mention one other thing I disliked about the weekend, which you reminded me about, which I think there's only three Grand Prix off the top of my head where I noticed this being a prominent issue. And I don't know if it's enough to do anything about it. But for me, if I was a fan and just going and I've paid all of this money to go there and enjoy it, I would be really quite annoyed that there was so much flares and smoke and all the rest of it going all over the place. I mean, it, you couldn't see the track at times. And Max said he didn't mind driving through it. But again, it's a visibility issue. What if that had, what if the visibility issue, I know it wasn't in this case, but what if that had been why George and Perez or the other two drugs that were better than Gasly, I think it was, came together. What if it caused something like that in a place on the track that is already tricky to handle at the best of times, maybe? You don't need that. And as a fan perspective, if you're not necessarily a Max fan and you're just unfortunately placed in the middle of one of those, you can't see anything. And surely there's got to be other ways that you can show your support than just betting off a random support all over the place. And it really messed with the coverage, especially in the beginning of the Grand Prix. Yeah, I think there needs to be a rule to say that it shouldn't be you shouldn't be letting them off during races because again, it's as much as it is an annoyance. You know, you you've got to have security forces that will literally sort of be going in and pulling people who are seen to be letting flares out of the crowd, out letting flares off in the crowd, pulling them out of the crowd, and simply escorting them from the from the premises. And it again, it requires time. It requires sort of manpower. It's one of those things that the FI has got to be probably dedicated to dealing with. And the FI's dedication to dealing with anything these days is sort of a bit limp-wristed at the best of times. But yeah, I can appreciate that if you've paid what I can only imagine for a race ticket is an inordinate amount of money to then sort of stand there and watch the cars come through was about turns seven, eight, nine, only to see sweet nothing because someone's had off smoke player in your face it's going to be annoying and equally the safety issue it's a blind circuit at points you have a huge amount of elevation changes especially as you drop from 
turns eight and nine down towards 10. If you've got smoke filling the circuit, it could be tricky if you're marshalling as well. Again, you have cars slowing down for the pits there, and if you've got a bit of smoke coming there, that's already a bit of a blind corner. You could easily have someone piling to the back of someone there. Mm. F1 kind of already have the solution to that in the bags. The van car? Bags get checked going into a race. If you have a backpack, and that's not just for F1 races, that's for any event. So it's very easy to police. And it got to the point on the formation lap of the race that so many flares went off, none of the cameras could actually work. So instead they panned in on a driver cam. I think it might have been one of the Ferraris because none of the other cameras on track could see anything. Yeah, and this was the Red Bull ring. We're off to Zambor in a month or two's time. And Zanvoort last so Zan- year was Zanvoort bad. So with the only two I can think of, because I remember when Charles won in 2019, there was a lot of red stuff, but that was after the race. Yeah, that was again. So I don't remember that like, during the race. The Italian fans um, are sort of quite restrained. They don't want, they know they need every they want to see, positive they, they, thing. They have about enough luck with Ferrari as it is at the moment. They don't, they want, don't want to start trying to sort of blind their drivers with red smoke. But yeah, Zanvoort last year was bad with red fla- mm-hmm. with orange flares. I can see it being even worse this year. Like everyone made the memes last year about being able to see the orange smoke from space, but it could be like more so this year off the back of a championship and just how buoyed the Max fans seem to be. But yeah, it's it's a, just one of those annoying bits of behaviour that just grow up. Just do what Ferrari fans do and bring a big ass flag. Yeah, all that. <laughs> Put it on a really tall stick, stand at the back of the stand so you're not obstructing anyone's view. Or just, just do what I do. Just, just buy a hat and just be just kind of just a just an average fan. Just enjoy your sport without being a dick about it. That's, that's the Undercut Podcast message to all the fun fans. Don't be a dick. Buy a hat. <laughs> and then hat sells skyrocket. You watch stonks. Stonks. My Antonio Giovinazzi cap is going to become priceless. Yeah, but not in the way you want it to be. <laughs> Don't be mean about Antonio Giovinazzi. Yeah. Anyway, that seems like a perfect point to end on with Timo designed to be mean about Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, this has been our review of the Austrian Grand Prix. We'll be back next week with our preview of the French Grand Prix. We're off to Le Castellet and um, could be exciting. We'll leave all of our thoughts about that for next week, though. Otherwise, we'll have nothing to talk about then. So, Timo, where can the people find you? If, of course, you'll be found. Well, I'd like to be found in certain places, primarily on the curbs. Is it fast? Pedictority, Supercar Blondie, TikTok, Instagram. Yes, really all of those. And also Nitro RX podcast. We've got an Instagram page. We've got TikTok with, uh, with my co-host, and we've got some really fun, exciting stuff coming up on there. So go and give us a follow, a like, subscribe and all of those and just interact with all of it we'd love you to be there Ellie Mae where can we find you? You can find me writing my key takeaways on the Instagram page or on our TikTok account which we now have or if you're a business and you have a smart meter that needs fixing (laughs) then we go She knows how to do that damn smart metering um yeah, it could be a, a we Yeah, it could be a, we, we have very good energy rates here at the Undercut Podcast. Um, 
I will say it's probably going to be a double episode, double week for the key takeaways because I was just so slow in putting together the graphics for the Silverstone ones. So if you are waiting for those, they are on their way out, hopefully. I have figured out a master strategy for all of it, so worry not, dear listener. Timo is here. Timo is here. He is. He knows when things are putting being put on the Instagram. So uh, that'll all be coming up as will Ellie May's key takeaways from Austria. And of course, you can find me also on Instagram as well as YouTube and Twitter under uh, Jesse on Cars. And uh, if you want to find me in real life, you can find me writing for Yoldi Car Magazine, where next week I will be driving a Riley Monaco Nine um, somewhere near Daventry. So give us a wave. Don't do a George Russell Paris with your boss on that. I will try not to drive inside of my boss because he's driving a really nice MGPA Blackadder, which really nice open top sports car. Um, Is that my other world prediction for this week? Yeah, it's, uh, we have an, an awful F3 style drop crash into your teammate sort of thing. But uh, that's that, that we cover next time on our preview of the French Grand Prix. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Au revoir.